The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Barton Simmons. That's Danny Cannell. We're here on YouTube. You're probably listening on your device, but what you need to do is you need to get get us with that double subscription, right? I, I know you got the podcast subscription already locked in. I know you've probably already dropped a five-star review. Uh, I know that you dropped five stars for Danny Cannell after he saved the Big Ten and after he <laughs> saved UMass football. I mean, that that's already been done. But now what we're asking is that you go and you get all of the multi-platform greatness subscribe to the youtube channel youtube.com slash cover three uh, all of the shows uh, also in video form um so we've got a lot to get to today we've got some injury news as big 10 preseason camp is heating up uh, we've got a pac 12 schedule release yes six regular season games five division games one crossover how's it looking for uh, the teams at the top of the league what are we on the lookout for plus it we had uh, this this day circled as an opportunity to be like, hey, let's, let's sort of take stock of the Big 12, right? You know, we got Red River coming up this weekend. Let's, let's sort of see what's happening. Little did we know it was going to be absolute carnage. So we will spend some time digging into the Big 12 and, and where we think that league and the teams in the league stand. And then, of course, on Mondays, we are not going to let you go home without your knolls to go. So before we get out of here, hey, 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 we got winners, baby. We got winners in Knowles to go uh, to celebrate. So let's begin uh, with the new top 25 rankings. Eight ranked teams lost. It was just a total reshuffling of the rankings. And it's almost like, uh, you know, UCF takes a big hit after it's lost to Tulsa. UNC all of a sudden finds itself up at number eight. Uh, there's lots of, Danny, SEC bias. Are you feeling the SEC bias or is it the ACC bias because four of the top eight teams in the country are from the ACC? You know, what's on your mind as you're looking at the top of the college football rankings? So my SEC bias take doesn't have as much to do with the rankings, right? Because I did a top eight and I'm looking at North Carolina coming at eight. And I'm like, okay, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but who are you going to put ahead of them? You know, and, and I don't rank the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. So then if you don't do that, then it becomes even more misleading. In general, I saw a couple comments as the Big 12 is falling apart and as the SEC has a couple more undefeated teams in it. And in large part, I have this because I was irritated by a response on Twitter, which I know you're not supposed to do that. I do get irritated by some (laughs) of the trolls that are out there. They do get to me. Because I had in my top eight, I had Georgia – I still had them in the top 10. Where did I have them listed? I'll find it here real quick. I had them at five. I had Miami and Florida ahead of them. And so instantly I get a bunch of Georgia fans who are mad at me and who say, well, they just beat a top 10 team. They just beat a top 10 team. And that annoys me to no end because let's wait and see if that's a top 10 team when we can actually evaluate everything that we know. But typically it does favor the SEC teams because they're typically ranked higher than the other conferences. But that was just one little instance of why it bothered me somewhat that, you know, 
are we sure Auburn is good? Like we just saw Ole Miss beat Kentucky, you know, like it's, it's a, it kind of goes into this, but it always favors the SEC. And I'm not, this is not a SEC is overrated or the, it's just, it's a, it's a massive advantage to be an SEC team with where you fall in the rankings, with the type of perception that people have about both your wins and your losses. Your wins are always better and your losses always aren't as bad. Again, Texas A&M is a perfect example. Like they, they struggle with Vanderbilt 17 to 12 and everybody's like, Ooh, Vanderbilt, they must be balling this year. They might be good. And then they go out and they get run by Alabama and instead of us really wondering what's going on with AM, it's man, Bama looks awesome. And they do. I have Bama number one. I switched them to number one. But like, that's the way it always is. I don't know. It's just something that frustrates me. I don't want to get anybody all riled up today, but it's just, it kind of, it always favors the SEC. And then the Big 12, like, uh, who was it that texted the, uh, was it Coca that texted the Gary Patterson comment, mm-hmm. which I, t- I tend to agree. I think that's a lot of frustration that coaches around the country have. So Gary Patterson's quote was, it really bothers me that we base whether our league is good or bad or not on whether Oklahoma and Texas are good. To be honest with you, we have a lot of good football teams. We always have a lot of good football teams going forward. We just need to keep improving our league from top to bottom and keep doing the things that we need to do. And I tend to agree with him somewhat because to- Oklahoma and Texas are out or appear to be out, everyone's trashing the Big 12. Well, maybe TCU's better than we thought. Maybe Oklahoma State's better than we thought. Like, maybe there are some better teams than we thought. I see a chip over there getting all like, oh, no, he's wrong. Go ahead. Take, take, go ahead. That's my theory. Now shoot it down. No, no, I'm, I'm not shooting it down because I, in general, uh, in general, I kind of roll my eyes at a lot of the league-wide perception being, like, drawn out. Like, the... The fact that uh, Auburn or Texas A&M can get a boost or that it's impossible for a team besides Texas or Oklahoma to, to rise to the top based on their conference affiliation, I, those, those things kind of miss me. The Big 12 being all in flux is interesting, not because of Oklahoma and Texas, but because of Oklahoma. Because Oklahoma has dominated the Big 12 in a way that like no one else in college football can come close to. I mean, we talk about Texas every year, but the team that is winning the championships in the Big tw- in the Big 12 is Oklahoma. And so it's like Oklahoma in the Big 12, Clemson in the ACC, Ohio State in the Big 10. And to me, whether or not you're able to fill out uh, a foil to it is where conference strength comes from. Last year, last year in the ACC, there was a gulf between Clemson and everybody else. Massive. And massive if gulf. and if you're going to argue that the ACC was down last year, I agree with you. I, I don't need to. I don't. Need, you don't need to argue it. I'll say it. The ACC was down last year, and all the strength of schedule arguments saying that the ACC did not provide good tests for Clemson, I will agree with. But then when you start to fill it out a little bit and you've got Notre Dame as an actual member, you've got Miami as like, and we'll see this weekend, Miami, you know, starting to, uh, to be on the rise a little bit. Now all of a sudden you start to fill it in. Big 12 is lacking for its leader to lead and it's lacking for a really, really strong foil or foils to be able to challenge them. But see, this is the thing going back to Danny's original point, though, because, first of all, I agree with Gary Patterson. The Big 12 does have a lot of good teams. The Big 12 problem is that it doesn't have any great teams. And we've become so playoff focused that it's now become if you don't have a great elite team, your conference sucks as a whole. And I think that's where we're seeing that kind of frustration come from. But to Danny's point, we've seen Oklahoma lose to Iowa State. We saw Oklahoma lose to Kansas State. If this is the SEC, Alabama is the team that has dominated the SEC most years, like Oklahoma has dominated the Big 12. If Alabama's losing two games in a row, the SEC doesn't suddenly suck. We're talking about how the teams that beat Alabama are suddenly on the rise and are a great team, whereas when Iowa State and Kansas State does it, it's like, who the Big 12 is in a lot of trouble. They suck. They're out of the playoff. They've got no hope. And I'm not saying I agree with it or disagree with it, but he's 100% right when it comes to the narrative surrounding the conferences. The reason that the narrative surrounding the conferences is what it is, is because right or wrong, we are always judging a conference based on its ability Mm -hmm. to make an impact in the postseason, its ability to contend for a national championship. So, you know, Gary Patterson maybe isn't wrong, um, but it's it's the world we're living in. Like he's operating in this world. The narrative is what it is. Like we all judge conferences based on the the upside of it. And so I I think he's wrong in the sense that like 
if the if if Oklahoma and Texas are down in the pack in the Big Twelve, the conference is down mm-hmm. unless unless TCU you're going to be willing to step up and, and contend for a national title or or be a legitimate playoff contender. Uh, and 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 I, I think and then I think to Danny's like original point, like I think you're just like chasing ghosts right now. Like, I think you're out here just like taking swings at nothing that nothing that isn't there. Like, no, I, the idea that right now at week two in the season, that there's an SC bias is I, I, that that's, I don't see that. I mean, look, there's a, there's an SC bias every year. There's an SC bias ingrained in everybody because the SEC is the most talented conference in college football. Let like that, me ask you. Let me ask you, That is a fact. I agreed, but it does absolutely help them. Let me ask you. Last year, or even into this year, Auburn or Minnesota, who who did you think was going to have a better season this year? Coming into this season, yeah. Um, because they played each other in a bowl game last year. Minnesota beat them. Minnesota had their quarterback back and a lot of continuity. Guess who started higher in the top twenty-five? And guess who still is ranked higher in the top 25. And I get the Big Ten doesn't play, but if you're going to rank Minnesota, at least rank them correctly. They're at 25. Auburn is still at 13. Like See, that's, but I, that's the advantage. I don't think that's – I think that's a very real advantage for now the next team that plays Auburn because they're going to play a top 13 team, top 15 team. You know, it's I, just – it is this vicious cycle that always helps the SEC. And I don't help. want to make this whole pod into a hate yet because I, I, they, you, they are the best conference in college football. But also the way things are constructed, it absolutely helps them be even that much stronger. I, I think that the, SC, like the, the idea that the SEC gets the benefit of the doubt is true. And I also think the SEC deserves the benefit of the doubt. Like, that's fair. I, I think that's, the, like, that's a... Um, I don't think that's that's that controversial of a statement. I, I think no. it's because they, I mean, the NFL draft tells the story every year, right. and so it's it, it's you know, and 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 it's like it's it's not like if you like transport the SEC and their fan bases into the the Mountain West region that suddenly like that region will be the best region of college football. They're just benefiting from their footprint where all that talent is, and so you know, it's they're they're the SEC has been born into a rich family basically um but like i, I think sec uh, you know, privilege they're, they're born on third base born on third base and thought they hit a triple but it is what it is they're still born on third base and so like that's that's good that's not going anywhere i'm just glad that we got sec privilege nailed down out of this you know we all as a country can grow in the year 2020 and learn to accept sec privilege <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad we're talking about rankings that feature like six teams that haven't even played a game yet. <laughs> <laughs> so was yeah. all right, was it unfair uh, to UCF to just get the total tumble after the second straight loss to Tulsa? I mean, we discussed on Saturday night, like, are you nervous? Like, do you change your UCF expectations or is this just like what Tulsa does? Tulsa just has UCF's number. Or is Tulsa good? Tulsa played Oklahoma State pretty close and Oklahoma State's a top 10 team now. Yeah, and we remember last year, like Tulsa's losses, they were like pretty much in every single game that they lost, except for maybe like one at one or two. And so this could just be a team that has kind of taken that step forward and also beat UCF last year, has won four straight against UCF, has won nine of the 12 meetings that they've had since 2005. They might just have UCF's number, but at the same time, I, I mean, UCF is not the the shine and the veneer of invincibility that was around that program there for a little while, particularly in the AAC is gone. And I think they lost it last season when they lost that game on the road to Cincinnati. And I think that everybody, other teams in the AAC look at UCF and whereas maybe a couple of years ago, they were thinking, Oh crap, we've got no chance here tonight. I think they look at them as a team. Now it's like, Hey, they're good, but we can get them. Isn't this Spartans Tulsa? Yeah. Yeah. It's my squad. This was a, this is, this is a, I'm on the over here. Uh, you know, I, I think this, I mean, I do think that Tulsa beating UCF continues to validate Oklahoma state a little bit more. I don't know validate, but continues to make Oklahoma state look a little better. And so, whereas like last week I begrudgingly put Oklahoma state at the top of my big 12 power rankings this week. I don't have to like hide my, hide my face as I'm doing it. Like the, the, like Oklahoma State seems to be very clearly the top team in the Big 12 based on what we know. I mean, they may not be, but based on what we know, I think you like you got to put the Oklahoma State number one to me. 
Um, also, North Carolina up there at number eight. Uh, they play Virginia Tech this weekend. Will North Carolina still be a top 10 team when the new rankings are released on Sunday? And is because uh, I was I was asked about this. I said, if you were to truly fill out a ballot, you would probably go one through five and then leave like six through 14 blank. And then your next teams would be coming in at 15 because I, I agree that I can't come up with better answers for Miami, but I don't know if, I don't know for sure yet about Miami. I mean, like running it up on Louisville and running it up on Florida State, that was, that was a great confidence builder. You know, there's a lot of things to like about what Miami's done offensively with Derek King, but we'll find, I mean, they're 15 point underdogs in the game of the year. They're playing Clemson and they're 15 point underdogs. And so if it comes, I don't know, as it comes to trying to sort that out, it's uh, it's interesting. So I guess for, first from the, the North Carolina standpoint, because Boston College had a two-point conversion to win that game, run back the other way for a touchdown. And, like, if that game goes to overtime in Chestnut Hill, North Carolina might lose. So what What are your – that North Carolina, Miami, Virginia Tech, uh, everybody, I guess, below that Notre Dame tier, where's where's our confidence in, in those ACC-ranked teams? Not high. I mean, I, I – but you just kind of nailed it on the head with North Carolina. It feels – they're – they're in the top 10 for now, but they're in the top 10 because a lot of teams aren't playing. And I don't think that had everybody started at the same time and everything, you know, like the Big Ten was playing, the Pac-12 was playing, everybody was playing. If these results were the way they'd been after the first few weeks of the season and North Carolina sitting there at 2-0, and I don't think North Carolina is a top 10 team. I think it's probably in the top 20. They started the at 18 in the preseason. Yeah. yeah, so it'd probably be up to like maybe 14 or 13. But I, would you think that this team would be in the top 10 in any other situation based on how what it's shown so far? Because it struggled for three quarters against Syracuse and it kind of struggled to get by Boston College. I'm still waiting for this team that's now at number eight to look like anything resembling a top 10 team. I feel pretty good about them against Virginia Tech. I don't feel great about North Carolina long term. Uh, they're a four and a half, five point favorite playing at home. I'm not sold on Virginia Tech just yet, but I still think it's they're in that next tier. And and the thing that's really interesting about Miami is that the the line that 15, 16 line is about the same as Alabama was Texas A&M, and it kind of feels the same. It feels like Texas A&M is in the SEC trying to close the gap with Alabama. Everybody in the ACC is trying to close that gap. You had some optimism around Texas A&M. Then you saw the point spread and said, oh, maybe this isn't. Then you found out in the field they really weren't. I kind of have a feeling that's the way this game is going to unfold too. Now, the one thing that Miami has that Texas A&M didn't is maybe Derrick King is that great neutralizer that can be the difference maker at quarterback, the type of guy like a Johnny Manziel who has this heroic, you know, unbelievable career, knocks off Bama, you know, as this, you know, giant. He slayed the giant. Maybe that's what Derek King is yet. I still think he needs to play better than we've seen him even play this year, but he's getting better and better every time out. But until I see him do that, I'm trusting what I see. And I think that is a Miami team that's done everything that we've asked them to do. It's not their fault. Florida state has stunk. It's not their fault. Louisville wasn't as good as we thought. Um, but I still need to see them do it against Clemson. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're in the same category as Clemson just yet. So Manny Diaz has the Hurricanes in the ACC equivalent of Texas A&M spot, but he's doing it at forty percent of the rate that Jimbo is doing for Texas A&M. <laughs> yeah. Little bit of injury news uh, coming out of the Big Ten as Wisconsin, a team that is also up in the uh, the top twenty five and hoping to compete for a Big Ten title, finds out that Jack Cohn is injured. He is waiting. We we have an undetermined timetable for his return from injury. Now we spent some time during our spring gleaning, sort of sort of building building up some Jack Cohn hype. Right, we we were starting to really. We were really putting the battery in the back of uh, the Jack Cohn fan base and just letting him know that, hey, you know, this this was an underrated storyline that he was he was pretty good. You know, you dive into the the in-depth analytics uh, and you start to realize that, you know, his, his on-target percentage, he was accurate, he made good decisions for the most part. And so, you know, with this injury, I guess there's, uh, number one, do we totally uh, adjust our expectations if Cohn is a little bit, um, if he's a, a little bit banged up? Because with a foot injury, it's always tough because it feels like you're, you're dealing with, uh, this could be 
season's over, you know, it could be eight weeks, could be something that you just sort of work through and play through and it heals. But, you know, we, we, we deal with the situation where, you know, Graham Mertz is there and people try to talk themselves into Graham Mertz heading into last season before Jack Cohn was able to grab control of that quarterback position. Like I know if you're listening to this or watching this on YouTube, youtube.com slash cover three, uh, then you know that you're just like, oh yeah, Wisconsin, they run the ball. Oh yeah, they just, they just give it off to the running backs. That's the way they do it. But this had the potential to be a year where we really focus on the quarterback. So, I mean, does as you see this news start to come out from Wisconsin, and as you imagine what Wisconsin's going to be, you know, does, does this change at all your expectations for the season? I don't think it changes it significantly. I think Jack Cohn, Jack Fromm Cohn, <laughs> who is who, who is very much just the guy that just facilitates the offense and 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 it was like it was good at it like that was a a, a very clear and obvious upgrade from the the Hornibrook regime and so I, I think that he was like there were moments last year where he looked really good and he was the the reason they were being successful not like the the not, not like the thing that didn't get in the way. Um, that said, the, the last spring, not, not, not spring of 2020, but spring of 2019, we're sitting there thinking that Graham Mertz is about to win the job as a true freshman. And the fact that he didn't, I think, doesn't mean that he wasn't good enough. It just means we underestimated Jack, Jack Cohn. So I think that Graham Mertz is, I wouldn't, and he was a four star guy. He was an Army All American. He set the All American Bowl record with touchdowns in a game. Uh, He's a good player. He's not um, a freak of nature or anything like that. He is he's sort of just a, another facilitating type of quarterback. Um, but I think he's capable. And I would be a little bit more worried if this was Jack Cohn year two and Graham Mertz year one. But this is Jack Cohn year two and Graham Mertz you know, second year in the system. Like Jack Cohn's second year starting, but, but at least Graham Mertz isn't like fresh out of high school. And so I think that like the bigger concern to me still is just, are they, is, is just this sort of running back by committee approach with a, with a decent quarterback going to be good enough, you know, regardless of who's back there under center. Uh, they just, they're just going to have to adjust who they are offensively uh, from a personnel standpoint with Jonathan Taylor gone. So uh, um, I, I think this is still Wisconsin. I think they'll still be good. I think they're still going to shorten games with a defense. that's going to be one of the best in the country and an offense that's just, trying to win in a very old, ugly Wisconsin way. Yeah, see, I don't I don't think this like ultimately kills Wisconsin season. And again, we don't know how long Cohen's gonna be gone, if he's gonna miss any game time at all. He might be back in time for the regular season, but it does add another variable and another concern because while I don't think that Cohen, you know, he is the guy that, you know, just facilitated the offense and he was very good at it last year. And this is still a team that likes to run the ball. But they're replacing the guy that they like to run the ball with. Jonathan Taylor is gone. So you felt like with Taylor leaving and not knowing who the new guy is going to be in, you're still confident that they're going to have one because Wisconsin's had a good running back for like the last 20 years, no matter who they've had to replace. But at least having that kind of consistency with Cone and that, you know, continuity there to run the offense, it was like, okay, well, that, that'll give him more of a, you know, a more runway to work with as far as trying to find the new running back. But now if they've got to replace J Jonathan Taylor and if they've got to go to Mertz, who's making his first start, things could get a little shakier. Now they could have a worse start to the season. Their schedule, all things considered, isn't terrible to begin the year. They get Illinois at home, although Illinois did beat them in Champaign last year. And then they get Nebraska on the road in week two and, I mean, I don't think any of us are too terrified of Nebraska yet because Nebraska hasn't given us a reason to think that they're going to do it. So until the Cornhuskers actually pull through, I'm not going to take them over Wisconsin. And then they get Purdue in their third game before they have to go on the road for Michigan. So as long as Cone is back by then, or if the, or Mertz is getting his feet wet and getting more comfortable and maybe you know starts living up to that hype he had as a recruit coming out of high school, I don't think this is an emergency for Wisconsin, but I do think it's a concern and it's something that you know is worth monitoring heading into the season. 
it's Wisconsin, <laughs> right? I, I mean, seriously, yeah. it's not yeah. like they're yeah. just a laundry list of game changers at quarterbacks. They all kind of look the same. They're all kind of asked to do the same, which isn't a whole lot. It's the ultimate game manager position, right? Make sure you carry out your fakes. Make sure you ball security. Let's, you know, go through your one, two, three progressions. Get to your back if you can't have anything down the field. Like, it's I'm, it's just – it is what it is. So whether Jack Cohn is back or not, yes, you want your starter there for continuity. He's a senior, leadership, value, all those types of things. But it, what Wisconsin asks to do their quarterbacks with their quarterbacks, it's not like Oklahoma. It's not like you're asking them to really, you know, be the centerpiece of that offense. They're just trying to almost go unnoticed. You know, like mm-hmm. you just, if you're a Wisconsin quarterback, you just don't want to suck, right? Just be okay. <laughs> And we'll be all right, and we'll probably be in the Big Ten title game. What now, in that, the that name changes down the line? You know, now what in the name of Christ is this right here? I mean, come on! <laughs> I mean, come on! We're talking about Jack Cohn, twelve and six as a starter, third yep. in program history in completion percentage and career passing efficiency. He's a, he's a, he should be a Heisman do, finalist. Do you have a list of those passers in history? Because I guarantee you, it's Jim not an illustrious Sorge. list. Yes, exactly. Russell I, Wilson is Russell Wilson. In Russell there? Wilson is the one that I saw on the yeah. list of names. I was like, oh, okay, there's a guy, and they were also awesome that year. By the way, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't a coincidence. Russell Wilson right. shows up in Wisconsin's amazing. It's Russell yeah. Wilson, Paul Christ, and then Jack Cohn. There is, you go. Is Kristen second? No, he's not. Oh, okay. Just throwing it on there. Um, all right. Let's see. We got a Pac-12 schedule released this weekend. Um, as w- as you look at it and as you broke it down on Saturday morning, uh, they unvo- unveiled the full schedule grid. Anyone? Um, let's see. So I would say Oregon drawing UCLA as its Pac-12 South opponent is nice, you know? And you get that game in Austin Stadium. Now, maybe Chip Kelly and Dorian Thompson Robinson, they are the ones that, you know, bring everything crashing down uh, with it with a big upset win in that scenario. But if you're the Ducks, there are two to three other teams that you would probably uh, much be, be uh, far more intimidated by when you look at the schedule. Uh, as, as you scan across the, the Pac-12 schedule, what stood out to y'all? So, do you think that that's good for Oregon to have a, a a game against a team that might not be ranked very high? Might is probably they're going to be favored by two scores over, or do you think it might be better for Oregon if they played Arizona State or maybe even USC? I mean, like they get the Pac-12 0. South champ in the championship game, and that'll be and that'll be fine. Let's yeah. just assume that all these games get played. Um, let's just for the sake of argument uh, and let's just say the best team in every conference goes undefeated. And so do you think that it will be a disadvantage to the PAC 12 to see uh, an 11 and 0 sec champion, a what 11 and 0 big uh, or uh, ACC champion, a, what would it be? Nine and 0 big 10 champion in the playoffs. And then for the, you know, whatever the one loss of the two loss team, hypothetically, <clears throat> compared to a Pac-12 team that's what seven and zero best case scenario with maybe only one team that's like ranked. I don't know. Like it feels like there might be some a, a necessity for some sort of resume building. I didn't necessarily look like it's only a six game season. But you like, get Washington and you've got Cal. Like yeah. you've got. I think the North is already tough enough as it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think I actually wanted to applaud the Pac-12 for finally doing right by their best teams by not, you know, because it's been year after year. Like the Pac-12 is always scheduling USC to play on the road on a Friday night on a short week after a huge game. So like they're all banged up and then they get upset. It completely throws their season on its head. And they've kind of done that this year where, OK, USC's got to play on a Friday night but it's at home a week after a home game against Colorado. So that should be fine. And then Oregon's got to play Friday back-to-back weeks. So it only gets the one short week out of it, but those are at home and they're against, you know, UCLA. And then they're on the road for a rivalry game against Oregon state. But I think overall, 
it's more important for the Pac-12 that one of their teams, whether it's Oregon, USC, or if it's even Washington or Cal, Arizona State comes along and has the kind of year that, you know, surprises a lot of people. I think it's more important for the Pac-12 to try to do everything it can to have an undefeated team if it wants to get into the playoff. Because if we're looking at the way the Big 12 is playing right now, if Oklahoma State does get through undefeated and Oregon gets through undefeated, Considering how Oklahoma and Texas have looked, I don't know what the super impressive win Oklahoma State is going to have at that point either. So I think that they're just trying to maximize their chances to get in. Now, since we're talking about the Pac-12, I can't get through without saying one thing that's stupid about the Pac-12. I understand the TV purposes. Oh, you don't like it? You don't like breakfast ball? Kickoffs? Like, Gosh. I'm Listen, I'm already, I don't know what the totals are, but I'm already on the unders for the 9 a.m. games. But like, what the hell? Like, yeah, I, I get that TV wants it and you're doing it to make sure your games are on like the major networks and not on the Pac-12 network and everybody can see them and you get the exposure. But a 9 a.m. kick can't be good for anybody. You have to get them out of bed. Yeah. 5 a.m. Right. I mean, four yeah. hours before is typically when they want you to start moving around. Like if you have a noon game, you're gonna make sure you're up at eight. Right. And most guys would sleep in until nine or ten if they could. When you're in college, you sleep in. You are not physically ready to execute and get ready for the type of alertness and mentality that you're going to have to get. So I totally agree with you, Tom. I thought it was a bad idea from the start. I get trying to capture some eyeballs. I don't love staying up for the Pac-12 after dark from some that selfishly. Yeah. Give me more Pac-12 football earlier in the day, but it is a, it's going to put forth a horrible product. I think. I just do. And I don't think it's going to help them. My, my reaction to the schedule was it's just not going to be enough. It's too little, too late. I, and I know the Big 12 is getting, you know, we're watching it get picked apart. But I think even a two-loss Big 12 champ, if it's Oklahoma or Texas or Oklahoma State or one of the kind of usual players, I think their wins will still resonate louder than 7-0. Seven, seven oh. I just think the Pac-12 is going to be in the same situation they always are. It's watching the playoffs on, you know, when, they're, when they're being played. Yeah, it feels very – like the whole Pac-12 release feels very minor league. It's yes. very like there's the – hey, here's, how, there, here's where the big kids are playing, and then here's the JV schedule here. Like, you know, like and, – and I think – and the 9 a.m. kicks the same deal. I'm with Danny. Like, look, I, every – I think every game I played think, in college. Think of a, where we are right now at 9 a.m. on a Saturday. And now think of trying to play a football game with the condition you're in at that point. <laughs> it's, it is, yeah, like I can't, like I, I, played in, I played in noon kicks all my career. And, that, and, and going from high school where every game is a 7.30 kick, uh, like at night, like it's totally different. Like I'm – you're, you're juiced for that 7.30 kick. For the, for the new kick, like, you're just, like, you're still waking up. Like, you, I mean, you aren't. But you, but, but in warm-ups, you are just sort of kind of, hey, like, let's get, let's go, I get my mind right here. We got a game coming up, you know? And these guys are going to have to get up at 5 a.m., 4.30. It's ridiculous. And all just to get a couple more eyeballs on them, like, it's, it is, it just reeks of, like, desperation. Like, the big, they see the big, the, the big noon kick, for the Big Ten or whatever, and they're like, "Oh, what a success!" And it's like, "No, that's not. That's not. You don't get it. Like these kids, these kids are getting up four hours later than you." Like, you know, when the last time I played at nine a.m. on a Saturday morning was, was sophomore year of high school, because that's who plays at nine a.m. on Saturday: the freshman and <laughs> oh sophomore God. JV teams. <laughs> I'll give you an example of what, like, I'm talking about. So we would have noon kickoffs. That ACC Jefferson pilot game of the week or whatever, like it was like the fourth or fifth tier game in the ACC early in the season. So we would go out to Thomasville, Georgia the night before game. It was about an hour, 45 minutes from Tallahassee. That's where we went. And then we would bus in. Well, the buses, you would have a couple big ones. And then when you got a little bit older, you kind of had some status. So you could go with about eight guys and you'd have a smaller kind of van of guys you would go with. Well, now, you got the we, personal bus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get the get daddy, a nice get, little person. Well, so then also part of it was you had your own music, right? So you'd like if it was a primetime game, you'd be riding back like at four or five in the afternoon. You're listening to music the whole time. You're getting fired up. You're driving through campus. You're like, you know, you're just amped. You're amped. For noon games, you're driving back like everyone is sleeping for 40 minutes of the drive and you're kind of groggy still. Then you put on the music because you have to to get your woken up, but you're still kind of groggy. Now put that back 
three or four hours earlier. I can't. I just. I think it's going to be an awful idea. I think it's going to be a horrible product. Well, you say the jet like the Jefferson Pilot game of the week or whatever. Like everybody, <laughs> yeah. we all we we've, we've all. Well, I mean, I don't know how many Danny's watched because Jefferson Pilot was may have been extinct by the time you were done playing. But we've all watched the the 11 a.m. Central Time kick in the stadium. That's just the the fans still are mulling tr- in, trickling yes. in, and the fa- and the, one of the teams is favored by 25 points, and they don't really wake up until the second half. And then, like, and, and it's it's always the game where the underdog keeps it close, but they cover. I know because Vanderbilt is playing all those games, and that's <laughs> and that's the team in Nashville. And you know, like, it's just people fall into like the Vandy Dudley Field trap of of just not really showing up until the second half. And that's just what that's, that's what all those games are going to be. So I don't know. Maybe this is too much of a rant on nine a.m. kicks, but. It just seems it just seems desperate. When dogs and unders. When I was when I was coaching my fourth and fifth grade YMCA basketball team for those nine AM tip offs. (laughs) I mean, the it was it was important to bring the juice and Krispy Kreme donuts and lots of sugar. Like when when I imagine these nine AM kickoffs, I'm thinking about youth soccer. You know, like Mm -hmm. all the dads like standing, like huddled up. It's really cold outside and they got their coffees and they're just grumbling about how hard it was to get the jersey on their kid and get out the door on time. Like that's the sport's stupid anyway. I want to see uh, I want to see nothing but like family and uh, I want to see all the dads huddled up with their with their coffees on the sideline for (laughs) these 9 a.m. kickoffs I I'm into it from the uh, perspective that we threw against the wall back in July where you said look if we're even going to be able to have a season let's, let's get weird and this is weird this is strange you know let's We'll see what happens. Yeah, to, for like the sociological like aspect of it, just just from the like ex- experimentally speaking, and the the counter. I, this might have come from Chip Kelly, but I don't think he was the only coach who mentioned this. He said the eight p.m. local time Pac-12 kick, the one that doesn't start till eleven Eastern, is awful on the visiting team in terms of the players. Because yeah. by the time that game is done and they travel back, I mean, they're not even get back to their dorm room at like 4 or 5 a.m. So it ruins a day on the next week. Now, I, I hear you having to wake up at like 5 a.m. is going gonna, is gonna to provide a little bit of uh, damage in terms of the sleep schedule and your sleep cycles as well. But, you know, if you're going to make that money grab for the 11 p.m. Eastern time kickoff, you know, let's, let's get them on the early side and see how that goes. Coming up on the other side... It's time to take time to take a real serious look at this Big 12, boys. We'll break it down. Plus, your knolls to go next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Again, with Oklahoma, Texas coming up this weekend, I knew that it was going to be time to sort of take a moment to look at look at the Big 12. And uh, I just had no idea how relevant it was going to be. Because now, we've got no idea. Barton mentioned earlier, yeah, yeah, you put Oklahoma State number one based on what's happened and you feel confident. But I want to, I want to turn it the other way. I want to look forward. I want to say that if we're going to the window right now, who, who are we betting on? Who do we think makes it to the Big 12 championship game? Who do we think wins the Big 12? Let's start right there. Got a couple more questions too built into this, but but who's who's your Big 12 winner? Who you got? I mean, I I'm I am staying firm. My my winner's Oklahoma State. They're 
they are they will continue to get better. Their offensive line will like Spencer Sanders hasn't even played more than two drives. One of those drives is like a one play drive. So their their defense is is the story of the Big Twelve. If if you really want to if you really want to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm still on Oklahoma state. Um, I'm starting to lean towards maybe they play Iowa state in the, uh, in the championship game. I'm, I'm with you on Oklahoma state because I, I think, you know, like you said, it is the story of the conference. The only story of the conference is that Oklahoma state defense, but like we, I've talked about it for years. We talk about the big 12 and offense and how the defenses are always terrible. But the one thing that always separates the best team in the conference from everybody else is that team typically has the best defense. Now that hasn't really been the case the last couple of years with Oklahoma, but I do think the fact that Oklahoma state has shown through three games that it's got a pretty salty defense and it's got a good defense. That is what is going to end up separating it from everybody else. So I, I think Oklahoma state has to be the favorite to win it right now. And as far as who they're going to play, I would say the winner of Texas, Oklahoma, whoever wins that game will probably be playing Oklahoma state in the conference championship. You really think so? Yeah. Like, what, flesh that out. Cause is, I mean, our, our Oklahoma state or Oklahoma's lost. They've already lost two conference they're games two in the conference. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like first two chances, but they're also capable of peeling off another seven straight wins. If they, cause I think that too, with Spencer Sanders, a young quarterback, I think that that's something that as the season goes along, he can improve. So therefore the offense can get better. And maybe Lincoln Riley feels like he could do more with the offense with him. Cause maybe that's part of the problem now too. I haven't really, you know, dove deep into what Oklahoma's play calling situation is, but maybe they've kind of got a limited playbook right now. And I think defensively it'll be hard for him to be worse and they'll be getting a couple key guys back. So maybe that improves a little bit, but again, I just think that I look at Iowa state and Kansas state and they're both off the two and O starts, but I can't sit here and say that I forgot about the teams that lost to Louisiana and Arkansas state and not think that those two are both just as capable of tripping up during conference play. Like they could lose to TCU. They could lose to West Virginia. They could lose to Baylor. They could lose to, any of these teams a couple times and find themselves in a similar situation. So when it comes to who's going to be the other team, I'm going to bet on talent before I do anything else. And right now, Texas and Oklahoma are still the two most talented teams in the conference. So I think it's going to be one of those two. I'm going to be stubborn and stick with my Texas pick. I picked them to win the big 12. I'm going to stick with it. I'd feel a lot better. Way to go out and limb Barton and pick the two teams atop the division right now. Way to go out. I mean, sorry, sorry for predicting <laughs> Oklahoma State at the jump. I know. I would. I would be. I would be pounding the table too. I would be doing a victory lap. There's a lot of football left. I would have felt better <laughs> instead of Sam Mellinger after the game being like, "It was kind of a downer." He's like, "Man, Texas fans deserve better than this." It was. Just, if he would have given the Tim Tebow after Ole Miss, like we will never lose again, I would have felt a lot better about Texas. If that's what we had seen unfold instead we didn't but yet i do feel like texas could have that type of turnaround in their season i still think oklahoma could not have that type of turnaround because i agree with tom like the offense still is producing if spencer rattler eliminates a couple boneheaded true like not true freshman but first year starter type of mistakes like you're in high school making those throws and their completions that's the big difference. He doesn't know yet. In that situation, those balls are going to be interceptions you try to squeeze in there. Like, you think you can make that play. If he learns, the offense still is amazing. The defense has massive inj- uh, issues. So I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I, as everybody's, uh, you know, kind of mocking the Big 12, oh, they're done, they're toast. How do we know the, the ACC is not going to look like that? The SEC is not going to look like that? Teams outside of Clemson and Bama, of course. But maybe even they slip up one. We don't know. The Big 10... That could be a disaster. Like we all thought this was going to happen. We were going to see chaos and we were going to see upsets like we've never seen before because of the gauntlet conference only play. The Big 12 is just getting it to it's, – it's happening to them first. But I think everybody else just better – like before everyone else is counting the Big 12 out, just let's let a few weeks play out and see what happens in the rest of the conferences because I think you might see mayhem like we thought we were going to see. Here's also, the, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, my, my thing with – the. I actually do think Oklahoma, to me, Oklahoma is almost a pick I can get on board with more so than Texas because yes. I, I just don't think Texas has even really looked that good. Like TCU game. Like, they were on the one. They should have won that game, right? I, know, I mean, that, I know, they were really I, close to winning. But you could also make a case like, like TCU. I, I played, I, I, play, I, I put money on TCU um, plus six at halftime, I think was the line. Like I, because I, because 
I looked at that first half and I was like, this is like, I, I just, I think TCU's the better team. Like it wasn't like they got lucky the first half. Like they, they get, they left points on the field. You know, they, they had to settle for field goals a few times. Um, t- Texas doesn't tackle that well. Texas does like Texas gives up big plays. Texas doesn't make plays at receiver. Like they, they, they got drops. Like there's just a lot about Texas. That's just c- concerning generally to me. Um, and Oklahoma to me again is, is, I think that but what my eyes are telling me based on what I'm watching on the field is a little bit more of just, hey, same old Oklahoma, their, their offense is still explosive. I could see them getting on track a little bit easier. My, my issue with them is they literally – they're 0-2 in conference. Like, they're starting out two games behind the, the, the eight ball. Um, and so, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just – I'm not sure this is just going to be that easy. Like Texas, you could also make a case. You said they, they, they're a fumble away from winning that game. They're also – a miracle away from losing to Texas Tech. Who yes. you sitting who probably is ninth in the conference right now in terms of like the, the power ranking. So I just don't have a lot of comments in Texas. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there too. I mean obviously if Texas beats Oklahoma this weekend, Oklahoma's done. But I'm with you in that strangely, even at 0 and 2, I have more confidence in Oklahoma getting to the Big 12 championship than Texas simply because, like I was saying, with Spencer Rattler being young, I feel like Oklahoma has room for improvement. The Texas team we've seen is the same Texas team we've seen the last few years. The iconic quarterback, Sam Ellinger, is still the iconic Texas quarterback, Sam Ellinger. I don't expect he's going to improve. I think he is who he is. I think Texas is what it is. I think Spencer Rattler can improve. And if he improves, I think that entire offense improves. And if the offense improves, it helps out a defense that needs, you know, that's had lots of problems. So I'm strangely more confident in Oklahoma as long as Lincoln starts, you know, going for it on fourth and goal. Oklahoma's also got a true freshman at running back. You know, they've, like, I think that's, we talked about on the reaction. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they've, they're just, they're breaking in some new faces. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and again, Texas doesn't, like, just Texas doesn't have that, those same excuses. I mean, Texas has experience at running back, experience at quarterback. They should have experienced a receiver. Like their offensive line has, has has got guys that have been there. Their defense is full of guys that have been there. They, I just, I think Texas is, is a lot harder to explain away what we're seeing out of Texas than it is with, with Oklahoma. No belief in TCU or Iowa State? I, I'm not, I have belief in them. Like I'm not ruling them out as being able to get to the Big 12 championship. I'm just going to bet on Oklahoma before I bet on them because I think that those teams looked good this weekend, but I think both of those teams also have flaws just like Oklahoma does. I think the, the, the reason that I am, the reason I picked Iowa State in this discussion is because I, like Brock Purdy still had had a good game, mm-hmm. um, you know? And so there's there's got to be some improvement there with Brock Purdy. The run game, obviously, Brees Hall has been balling. Um, and so I don't know. I just – I think uh, I think Iowa State – I don't know. There's more confidence inspiring. And I think that, like, when you think about their two wins, right, their 2-0 and in the conference and the two teams that they've beaten, Oklahoma and TCU – our team. teams that yeah we would all consider probably in the, the top half of the conference you know so i just think that in and of itself creates a advantageous situation for them how crazy would it be if louisiana runs the table iowa state like that is the scenario yeah. you yeah. need yeah. for a group of five for team sure. yeah. to get in is to beat a conference champ that's in the discussion if iowa state is there that I don't think it happens, but if they are, our boy Emory Hunt, our Louisiana <laughs> Raging Cajun, is gonna, and they'll have a pretty good, they'll have as good a case as we've seen in the short history of the college football playoff to say we deserve a spot. That'll be fascinating. This will they'll have a good opportunity this weekend. They're playing Coastal Carolina. Coastal yeah, that good. is gonna be They're a fun good. game. Yeah, like yeah. that. Put that in the top top three or four of the weekend right there. Yeah, that is like that is like the low key game of the week that nobody's gonna watch but us, but everybody <laughs> should be watching it. So I. I think that Oklahoma State almost without a doubt makes the Big 12 championship game. But within the Oklahoma State fan base, like Barton, did you feel any pushback when you started getting like when you pushed out your Oklahoma State positivity? Did you have any Oklahoma State fans coming back at you with like a yeah, we've heard this before. Wait till you see how it goes. I mean, they've got the that mindset of having their heart broken so many times that I just I wonder if sometimes it becomes like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy with some of those teams that you, you're going to you're gonna get to the championship game, you're going to get right there to the end, and then it's going to be 
a Lincoln Riley or a Tom Herman and Oklahoma or a Texas right there to rip your heart out in Dallas. And in that sense, I almost, I almost want to like take this Saturday's winner as the big 12 champion. But I do believe that if we are power ranking the big 12, I'll, I'll go Cowboys number one, but man, two and 13 in Bedlam is tough. And like when you were there, like when you were there in 2011, having it all come crashing down at the hands of Iowa state on like a Friday night, right? It was a Thursday or Friday night. I mean, there's, there's, there's Friday. I think it was, Oh, never mind. It doesn't matter. There's something really like deep seated. Like they would, they would be Mm -hmm. exercising some demons if they win the big 12 championship in a big, big way. Bunch of Eeyores in that fan base. But there, (laughs) there is, I mean, you say like, um, you like what I, you opened that, that statement by saying something to the effect of like, yeah, like I think we can all agree. They're probably going to be in the big 12 championship game or something like that. Like there, there's a in the to play devil's advocate here. Like that is still a long way away. Like yeah, they, okay, they, yeah, yeah. they still mm-hmm. they played Kansas and West Virginia, mm-hmm. you know, and so they just they just don't have the warts yet that the others have, but they also really haven't had the opportunity to show them. So it's yeah, there's we're a long way from them being like the clear favorite, but they're just they're sort of the safest pick right now. Kansas State. TCU, how, how many teams, how, how long does the list go for teams that you say, maybe not that you would trust, but that you say like, yeah, that's a pretty good ball team because I got one, two, three, four, five and a half. Sounds about right. I'd go the same. I think, I mean, I feel like everybody but Kansas in the Big 12 is decent enough. Texas like, Tech like, included? Yeah, I don't think Texas Tech is awful. I think its defense is pretty awful. But again, they almost beat Texas. And I just I look at this conference from top to bottom, and it's like there is no elite team, but there's only one truly bad team. Everybody else is kind of like if if you're doing it for like percentiles or tiers, I don't think there's much of a gap between the bottom and the top outside of Oklahoma and Texas. I still feel that in the long run, they're still the two best teams in the conference. But I don't think that middle tier is all that different from top to bottom. And I think every single team in it is capable of beating everybody else. Which is the, that's a death sentence in the college football playoffs. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and so what's Pac-12 has been dealing with since Oregon's not dominant, USC's not dominant, Washington's not dominant. So it might be their death sentence for the college football playoff this year too. Big 12 is one big optical illusion. Like they're, like <laughs> It's a sailboat. You know, like, <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I see a pirate. <laughs> like you, it, it's it's a very eye of the beholder conference. It's a very they because it, there is so much parity in it because the ninth best team is so much closer than the first best team as you know more so than most conferences. You can sort of call it whatever you want. And I like last year. I I think I think it was last year that I was sort of pounding the table saying the Big Twelve is is good. Uh, at least early in the season. Before they went one and six in bowl games. <laughs> right, but they just got absolutely rocked in the postseason. They didn't care, though. They didn't want to be there. But <laughs> but I, I saw there, there was um, someone on the staff of one of the new the new uh, coaching staffs last year in the Big 12. So there's how many new coaching staffs were there? Four or five or something? So I don't think I'm giving this away by, by just saying it was one of the new staffs. At he least was two. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> he, he, he was like four, so four new staffs. He was like, um, I was talking about the conference. He was like, yeah, you know, like this is not a very good conference. <laughs> like he said that. <laughs> and so I just, I, I think it's just, I, I, I just, it's really hard to figure this, the big 12 out. And um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see like, because there is no, there's no crossover games to, to ground it to sort of give it relativity and context. And so we're just all going to be able to call the big 12, whatever we want it, want to call it. And when there's a lot of points scored and a lot of missed tackles, usually the default is not very good. So I don't know. They got, I think they got some work to do to change that perception. I, uh, I, why, why didn't you share that information? That would have been information that could have been very helpful last year. I think, I, I think, I think, I, I think I got that information in the off season. Yeah. Well, I mean, this all started with them going 0-3 to the Sun Belt, right? Like, this is – and 
in whatever the Big Twelve is, and we'll, we'll I guess we'll we'll wrap it up there with the eye of the beholder as a very apt uh, analysis. It, it's fun to talk about. It's it's very very fun to it try is, and figure it is out. Fun to talk about that is yeah. without a doubt. All right, uh, Knowles to go. Order for Danny. Order for Danny to go. <laughs> uh, Danny winners didn't look yes. great. Down at the end of the first quarter, down at the end of half at the end of the first half. But we've got a youth movement in Florida State. We're tanking, and we got to win against Jacksonville State. How are we feeling in Tallahassee? Hallelujah! So this is a game. I was not intent. You know, I was not going to watch this game. To be honest with you, I was going to kind of keep an eye on the score and see what was going on. I think it was Tom who alerted to me via Twitter. He couldn't resist putting it up there. And it was seven, nothing at the time. Right. And so I'm like, all right, he's just trolling. We'll be fine. And I'm like, keeping on the score again. Then it goes 14. And I'm like, uh Oh, let me get this bad boy up on a screen. I got to start paying attention to this one. And then I can't find the dang game. Cause I'm no, like I, have really enjoyed Hulu, by the way. We're not, we, we should, if we're looking for a sponsor, we should get Hulu to sponsor us. <laughs> but I have really enjoyed Hulu. But I'm like, but I use it on all these different screens. So I'm looking it up. I pull it up and it says blacked out in your area. I'm like, what? I live it like, there's no, like, I'm, I'm confused on the blackout <laughs> rules. And so I'm like, I put out a screen grab. So somebody alerted to me. It was on like a Fox Sports South or like Sunshine Network. Some like old Jefferson pilot would have been and would have been. So I turned it on and then I was keeping an eye on it just thinking, Oh my gosh. Like if you lose this game and it's not that I called a game, I think it was Bobby Bowden's last year at Florida state and they almost got beat by Jacksonville state then. So it's, it's not like this is unprecedented, but I just felt like, Oh my gosh, I don't know if Mike Norvell, the new staff, if they can handle the kind of criticism that they're going to get if they lose this game. But I do credit him for adjusting on the fly. He switched quarterbacks to start. Rodemaker was struggling. Then he goes to Jordan Travis, who looked more than comfortable throwing the football, which is something they had no idea at Florida State. They only used him as a runner. It was like they were scared to let him throw, which maybe he is, and he hasn't thrown it well in games. Some guys are horrible in practice, and when they come in, they're much, they settle down. They're much more accurate. They can just make plays. We haven't seen that from him yet. So I don't know. There, I, at least they got the W. Like that was a crucial, crucial win because you talk about a rough year in Tallahassee. If they would have lost that game, then it's, you know, sky is falling type of vitriol that's going to come his way. And I did not want to have to put anybody through that. So a win is a win. Now they get to face Notre Dame as a three <laughs> touchdown underdog. Good luck with that one. But you're right. They, they did play some young guys. So let's start building for the future. Let's see if you can cover. I don't think they're going to beat Notre Dame. Let's see if you can keep within a couple touchdowns. Go out there, be competitive and fight. And uh, speaking of fighting, Coach Bowden, shout out to him. Prayers for him. Yep. Announced that it was uh, he does have COVID-19. He was positive. But I guess the good news is, as of now, hasn't shown any symptoms. He's felt fine, but he's 90. He's going to be 91 uh, in just another couple months. So definitely thinking about him. And uh, and since we're doing Knowles to go, I figured it'd be a perfect time to do it. Shout out uh, Speedy and full recovery, for sure. Wishes from yeah. the uh, the Cover 3 podcast. The The thing that is interesting to me is that there is no escape. Sometimes when seasons go south, you're like, all right, well, you're going to fire the coach, you know, and it's, it's a lost season because the coach is going to get fired. Interim comes in, but there's no escape. This is year one of the Mike Norvell era. Like it is, it, it, that's why I say it's fascinating. I don't mean that in a dark way because it's interesting because the players on that roster are going to have to respond because a bunch of them are going to be back for next year and, and how they perform down the stretch right here, playing out the string is going to inform a lot of our opinions about what happens and probably start to set the tone for the way the off season is going to go and the way you prepare for 2021. So I, I'm in this, uh, I, because they don't have that exit opportunity Every single game is interesting to me. Every single Florida State game. Now, is this year one of Norvell or is this year four post Jimbo? And yes, I'm aware that Jimbo was still coaching there four years ago. (laughs) Yes, you are correct in that assessment. That is the correct math. (laughs) That is the correct math. It is, but when you talk about the importance of every game and no eject button, 100% right. And just knowing, and this is, I think, the hardest part, when you're at a Texas, a Miami, a Florida, and you start to struggle, man, it's tough to get people excited again. 
because it's like, and, and people stop coming to games. People start cutting, stop cutting checks, you know, boosters stop supporting the program because there is a man, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel anytime soon. So I'm going to kind of hold off this year. I'm not going to buy my season tickets. And that has a dramatic impact because Florida state doesn't have the deep pockets that Texas does or Florida or Ohio state or some of these other programs. Although they did manage to find and cut a check for Willie Taggart pretty quickly. I didn't know if that was possible and they came up with that really fast, but it does start to really drain the program as a whole. So that's why, you know, the season might not reach the expectations and the excitement they had at the beginning of the season, but it is imperative to kind of hang on to at least keep some sort of interest and positivity that you can carry over into the next offseason. And hopefully you get those injections of cash and booster support and ticket sales so that, you know, when you go to 2021, there is some excitement. I was worried, you know, last week uh, you dropped the, like, the Manny Diaz darkest day in program history <laughs> kind of again. And then, like, there was a lot of, like, FSU reporters out there being like, this is rock bottom. Like, okay, now we've hit rock bottom. It's time to climb out. I, that, like, that was going to be a tough look if you had to go rock bottom, darkest day, back-to-back weeks. I don't know yeah. if we've seen that before. Um, so I was, I, was, I was a little bit concerned, but I'm glad you guys clawed your way out. <laughs> That's you don't no- want to get into a, a contest of which, <laughs> which is worse rock bottom. You know, blown out by Miami or lost to Jacksonville State at home. You don't even want to have to start to get in those arguments. At Notre Dame, North Carolina at home, at Louisville, Pitt, NC State, Clemson, Virginia, Duke. Give me 500 on the season and just wrap it up right now. And I think Mike Norvell would take that as well. It's all downhill from here. After you get past Jacksonville State, easy. <laughs> That's Tom Fernell. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Canell. You can follow him at Danny Canell. That's Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. of sports mixed with your pop culture along with humor and celebrity interviews your earbuds are enjoying the rich eisen show dan orlovsky are you still a Jaden daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy i think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one i think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft every quarterback in the nfl is accurate he's got the best on tape number two most transferable stuff to the nfl and then i think the third thing is pocket peace search for the rich eisen show on youtube or wherever you listen